millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everybody has ideas about what it means to be a good mom. And most people feel like they have a license to tell you <laughs> what they think it means to be a good mom. We are both his biological parents. You get people that are like, what do you mean you're the mom? We're like, yep, <laughs> we're both going to be moms. That last voice you heard is Shay Gillum. Last year, she and her wife Sienna were picked to be one of the families featured in a Dove Soap commercial about motherhood. Shay and Sienna's part of the commercial is about 10 seconds in total. Shay is giving Grayson, their baby, a bottle on the living room floor while Sienna sits next to her. If you turned away for a moment, you might miss it and be distracted by the other moms in the ad, like the breakdancing mom or the farmer mom or the rock climbing mom. After Grayson was born, I knew that the next step in my transition was going to be that I wanted to have um, gender-affirming surgery and have my bottom surgery. And so I started looking at anything to, like, you know, make extra money. And this casting thing got put up at the LGBT center looking for, you know, a trans mom to be part of this commercial. It didn't know exactly what it was or anything at the time. And they just, you know, there was an email address that said, you know, send a quick paragraph about, you know, your story and, you know, pictures of your baby. I did. And so then we did the commercial. Um, at the time, it was, I don't think we had anticipated what the fallout from it was going to be. Mm. And that was huge. Um, when so, did you get the first inkling that something had gone wrong? We didn't even know the commercial was out until I was driving to work um, and a lawyer called me. Whoa. And from Dove and said, hey, I'm blah, blah. You know, I'm, I'm one of the lawyers for uh, Unilever. And I um, just wanted to let you know that we have your back and the commercial has been released and we've been started receiving a lot of negative feedback on the commercial. So there's been some threats um, and we just really wanted to make sure that nobody has contacted you directly. And um, I was like, oh no. Here's just a sample of some of the milder YouTube videos people put up in response to Dove's ad. Congratulations, Dove. You've managed to consolidate in a two-minute video, might I add, uh, everything that is wrong in America today. If someone is a biological male and a said biological male impregnates a female and that female gives birth, said biological male is not that child's mother. And so he's going to, with his little nose ring and all, say, you know, call us both mom. And do you know how messed up that's going to make that kid? Shay and Sienna worried as the hostility ramped up. Poor Chan being completely anonymous, you're like, you know, you don't know who these people are, where they're at and stuff. But people are, you know, I mean, essentially saying, yes, someone should go kidnap that kid, you know. And not everything. Safe. And, that you know, Never. raise them in a family that's right and everything like that, so... Anonymous trolls put their home address on the internet and published photos of Shay before her transition. In response, Shay and Sienna locked down their social media accounts. They asked Grayson's daycare to not take any photos of him or let him go out on walks outside the building. It's been more than one year since Dove released that ad, and thankfully, none of those online threats ever materialized into anything in real life. 
But what people couldn't know, based on news coverage about the controversy, is that Shay's transition is intimately connected with her journey to motherhood. And that Shay and Sienna's story was also an infertility story, but probably not one you've heard before. Shay and Sienna had been together for 18 years and married for 16. Yeah, they were actually pretty much just kids when they met. Mm-hmm. It was a classic high school meet-cute. Um, I knew Shay back in 2000. I decided I liked Shay. <laughs> but I also had other girlfriends in this group that also liked Shay. Yeah, I was presenting as male then and working at a radio station. And so we had met through a mutual friend because um, we were in a band together and... Um, we were big in the like electronic music rave scene back in Oklahoma. We started dating, and I told Shay that I wasn't going to be serious because I was moving to New York. So I did. We stayed in touch, and um, Shay proposed to me that fall. So we got engaged when I was 19. <laughs> Everybody thought we were way too young. They were really young, but they knew what they wanted. So the couple moved to Portland and got married at the courthouse. And then they lived in Seattle and a bunch more places before finally settling in Los Angeles in 2008. Their first apartment here was literally in a makeup effects warehouse. We would come home and frequently get off work, come home, and there would be like filming going on. Like that we would have to like pass through in order to get back to our room and stuff. And there was always blood and Sienna would get annoyed because people would use her towels to like clean up fake blood. And it was stuff just like very that. dirty. Yeah. It was living in a warehouse. So. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was interesting. And then we got respectable and moved to Long Beach and I got into school and Sienna kept working and moving up in her job. And we started trying to have kids. By then, Sienna was 29 and Shay was 33, and they wanted to start trying to have a baby. Having sex to conceive can get pretty stressful and unpleasant, especially when you go month after month without success. But Shay was struggling with the process for a whole other reason. Then I, you know, eventually came to the realization about two years before I actually told Sienna that I was trans. And then I struggled for a really long time because we were trying to, you know, have kids and we were you know, trying to get pregnant, and I didn't want to lose her. What did it feel like for you to be actively trying to conceive while also trying to keep this secret? Um, it was hard. It was hard. Um, because, I mean, um, I mean, to be honest, you know, sex as a male never felt totally right for me. And so, you know, especially being you know, setting up the schedule when you were going to do it when it's ovulating and, and all these times to come in and do that, it was it was difficult to kind of be like, you know, prep yourself up for that sort of a thing. And, it's hard and everything. anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> trying to conceive on the schedule is not super romantic anyway. So sure. like, I can't even imagine what you were going through when you were like, I remember that it was challenging and... Mm -hmm. um, but you also had all this other stuff yeah. going on in your head at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so then we... Um... Can't imagine why it didn't work out. <laughs> in 2015, Shay and Sienna went out to watch a movie. But before it started, a trailer for The Danish Girl came on. The Danish Girl is about a trans woman 
who is married and comes out to her significant other. And um, yeah, and then eventually goes through the process of getting uh, gender affirming surgery. And then I- She told me in the car outside And then the after the movie, I told Sienna what was up and why it had affected me so much. And that was me coming out to Sienna. <laughs> My first reaction was, well, that's fine. You know, I mean, I think a little bit afterward, I was like, is it real? Is it not? Is it a phase? Because obviously this is the first time I'd heard of this. Sienna had never noticed any hints of Shay's desire to transition in the more than 10 years they had been together. But Sienna did start wondering if Shay's depressive episodes, which would come on during the times when Sienna least expected, may have had something to do with the gender dysphoria Shay was struggling with. Shay still wanted to be with Sienna, but she had to wait and see if Sienna could make the adjustment from loving a man to loving a woman. Well, for me, I mean, I knew from when Sienna and I met back in 2000 that she was incredibly special. And um, I had felt, you know, I mean, a, a kind of connection and love for her that I had never felt in any relationship prior. And so that's why I proposed to her, um, you know, and why I didn't, you know, I mean, I heard just as many things um, as she did back when we were young about getting married so young and all of these things. But it didn't matter to me because I knew that I wanted to be with Sienna. During that time that Sienna was talking about when, you know, I mean, when I had come out and, and stuff like that, I mean, there were multiple conversations where we had where I'm like, you know, all cards on the table. I am not going to be upset if you, if we can't stay together. You know, I mean, I, you know, cherish the time we've had and it's been amazing. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Um, but, you know, I would understand, you know, because it's such a huge, you know, change. I think at the very beginning, it took me a while and I definitely kept it in my mind that Shay and I may not stay together. And I let that be a possibility. And I had to come to my own conclusion that I wanted to stay with Shay for reasons other than her gender, which seems really silly, but like, she's helped me through a lot. I mean, she's very an encouraging person. I started doing roller derby because of Shay and her encouragement. I have dealt with depression a lot in my life. And Shay's a kind of a person that's like, if you don't like something, change it, just do it. And so she was always very encouraging for me to be a better person. And so that person wasn't changing. So it was more important to me to be with Shay than it was for me to be in a heteronormative relationship. Even though that meant I had to deal with a lot of my own um, identity stuff and a lot of my own, you know, growth as a human. Like I had to care about what people thought of me less, you know, because I was getting judged more. Um, I couldn't hide as a couple that's different than most couples. You know, you can't kind of hide in the background anymore. People are gonna notice you more. And so all of that stuff I have, I had to and have to still deal with. So all of those were my own issues that I had to figure out. And I was willing to do that because being with Shay was more important than us breaking up or not being a family. And so I'm glad we're still together. I, there's nobody else I wanna be with. And yeah, I cherish all this time. Listener, all of our eyes in the studio are sparkling right now. <laughs> Once they realized they still wanted to be together, the baby-making process took on a new urgency. Shay wanted to begin her transition, which included hormone treatments and eventually surgery. But she didn't want to do any of that until they had conceived successfully. 
Because they had already been trying for years before Shay came out to Siena, they decided to go straight to a fertility doctor. At this point, did your IVF doctor know what you guys were juggling in between both the IVF cycle no, and No, we didn't tell them until way later. <laughs> yeah. What were you guys afraid of? At the beginning when I did stuff, and I thought it was like totally safe in California and everything, because we have a lot of trans rights here in, in California, particularly in Los Angeles, but it still didn't stop me from getting harassed on the streets um, because pretty much as soon as I you know, started hormone therapy, I was out. I mean, at that point, I came out to everybody. So you don't want to bring that sort of level of street harassment into this other really delicate medical procedure. You know, the important thing was having the baby and, you know, getting through the pregnancy and stuff like that. And, you know, that was the priority. And so I kind of grinned and bared it, um, which was really hard. I think Shay took a backseat a lot with um, a lot of the fertility stuff because... She made it not about her. Um, I think she also gave me a lot of space to kind of adjust and to kind of figure out what this meant for me because it's one thing to say, I'm married to a, a trans woman, or I'm married to a woman, and being okay with Shay coming out as who she is is wonderful and important to me. Um, but it meant a whole host of other things for me. Like, what does that mean for my sexuality? What does that mean for my identity? With Shay's transition on the back burner, the couple dove into fertility treatments. They started intrauterine insemination, which is a simple procedure where a doctor places sperm directly into the uterus during ovulation. How many times did we do the IUI? Twice, right? We did it twice. The yeah. second time didn't really count because they told us the sperm count wasn't high enough. And we were like, we'll just try it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So the IUI didn't work. And then we decided to go and go through the IVF process. And so um, did the egg extraction and did ICSI for all of the, to fertilize the eggs. I like how you just like kind of briefly like skim over that part. What do you mean? <laughs> Just just quick egg extraction, no problem. <laughs> well, I understand it was big in there. Yes, it was That was like thing. the worst part. <laughs> How many embryos did you end up with in the end? We ended up with... 13, right? And so then once we had the blastocysts, um, that's when I called the uh, LGBT center here in Los Angeles and made my appointment to go start hormones. Shay and Sienna's fertility story is unique because it's so intertwined with Shay's transition. But transgender family building is not rare. Meet Tristan Reese, who lives in Portland with his partner, Biff, and their three kids, Riley, Haley, and Leo. Well, I'm the director of family formation um, here at Family Equality Council, which is absolutely my dream job. I literally get to help more LGBT people become parents and find their individual path to parenthood. And sometimes that means um, fostering kids because I believe that being a, a temporary parent is no less real than being a full-time or permanent parent, um, helping people navigate the adoption system, helping you know gay men figure out surrogacy, um, helping uh, same-sex couples who are women or other couples where you know there's no sperm but two uteruses 
places, figure out where they can get sperm from, because none of these systems were built for us. Um, in the same way that, you know, many of the pregnancy and conception systems are not built for people who have to utilize ART, they're also not built for LGBT folks. We're kind of like hacking these systems as we go. So we need to help each other out. Tristan knows this on a personal level. Assigned female at birth, Tristan transitioned and identified as male in early adulthood, and then went on to have a baby with his male partner. Tristan carried the baby and went public with their story on social media. Eventually, news sites all around the world began reporting on their story, calling him Portland's pregnant man. He caused a big media sensation. If you're a fan of the podcast The Longest Shortest Time, they did a multi-part series on Tristan and his family. But he was far from the first pregnant man. So there's actually a pretty vast underground online network of transgender and gender nonconforming people who have gone through pregnancy or who are planning to go through pregnancy. So even while like maybe like a, an average mainstream American doesn't know a transgender person who has been pregnant, um, there are hundreds and maybe even thousands of us all over the globe. So I worked really hard to connect with other people who'd been through this experience um, got tips and tricks from them so that I would be prepared um, at every step of the way. But not enough people, especially young trans people, know about this. Here's Tristan again. I chose to tell my story publicly. I really wanted more transgender people to see parents on TV who were LGBT, um, who were pregnant and having their own kids, who had adopted. Like, I really believe that there need to be expanded possibilities out there for the trans community. When I came out as trans, I truly believed I was choosing between ever finding love and living my authentic truth. And I chose to transition. I chose to live my life as transgender. And I thought I was closing the door to ever getting married or having kids. That's an, that's an impossible choice, and it's also a choice that most people don't have to make anymore. After the break, we'll talk to Shay and Sienna about how they navigated Shay's transition and an unexpected complication in their pregnancy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We were 
were so happy that IVFML got some attention. One of the most exciting things that happened was that it landed on Atlantic's top 50 podcasts of 2017. They called our marriage, quote, passive aggressive. Very good, accurate review. (laughs) (laughs) Ringing endorsement. And after all of those reviews and messages, we realized that there was one thing we forgot to ask of you guys, which is to review us, to rate us. Yeah, we forgot to do the most basic thing, which is ask you to go to the iTunes store and give us five stars and a nice little recommendation. If IVFML helped you feel heard, it helped you find your community, or if it helped you come up with a way to explain your situation to family and friends, please let us know. You can reach us at IVFML at HuffPost.com. A lot of you guys have already reached out. Again, that's IVFML at HuffPost.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Kate Aletta, senior editor with the newly redesigned HuffPost Life section. Before we get back to IVFML, I want to tell you about the new kind of conference from HuffPost. Maybe your parents now, after infertility treatments, adoption, or some other means, would appreciate meeting more like-minded parents nearby. If so, join us on Friday, November 2nd for a one-day event called How to Raise a Kid at the William Vale Hotel in Brooklyn, New York. We're bringing together a group of like-minded parents to discuss the trickiest issues we face as we raise the next generation of leaders. You'll connect with experts, whether they're psychologists, educators, social media pros, children's authors, and even some famous faces who have a lot of answers. We'll also have freebies, pop-up shops, great food, and most importantly, you'll be introduced to the kind of parents you've been looking to meet. Plus, one of our six breakout sessions will be on modern families, the ways they form, and how we talk about it. To buy tickets or to learn more... Visit howtoraiseakid.splashthat.com. If you can't go but still want the goods, the speeches and panels will be live-streamed on the HuffPost Parents Facebook page. Thanks. Now, back to the show. When we last left Shay and Sienna's fertility story, they had just created 13 embryos, and Shay immediately got started on hormone therapy. Here's what they decided to do for their first embryo transfer. I mean, we only implanted one embryo. That's we kind of talked about two, and then we finally did one. And then it stuck, and I started getting morning sickness and all the hormones. And Shay had started taking hormones too, right? Yeah, it's yeah. funny. My mom said something when we, when we came out to her. She was like, you're going to both be on hormones at the same time? Like, won't that be like a house full of like hormones? And we were like, nah, <laughs> we're fine. Yeah. Um, Shay, I know that for the pregnant person, they might start to feel like a parent right away. But for you, when did, when did you feel like, hey, this is real. I am going to be a parent. Um, I think it was probably when we had the first complication because that's when I with the pregnancy, um, and we had um, gone in for the anatomy ultrasound and had been told that um, the baby was going to have a cleft palate. Oh, is this the, the ultrasound at 20 weeks? Yeah, around 20 weeks, yep. And I think that hearing that and then doing a lot of research, you know, Googling and falling into that hole of all of the, you know, terrible things that this could lead and what this child might have to go through, and then sorry, and then accepting that um, made me really realize that I cared. And I think that that was the point where I was like, okay, I'm this kid's parent, you know, no matter what. Thankfully, that initial diagnosis turned out to be wrong. The baby didn't have a facial deformity. But the specialist who gave them that reassuring news dropped another bomb. Sienna had vasa previa, 
which meant the baby could die during labor. This was a dangerous, high-risk pregnancy. Basically, it means that the baby's artery is covering the opening of the cervix. So if I started having contractions um, and that ruptured, the baby could bleed out. And actually, the doctor there told me the baby could bleed out within five minutes. IVF pregnancies have a higher risk of vasa previa, and undiagnosed cases end in the baby's death about 60 to 70 percent of the time. Thankfully, high-quality ultrasounds can detect the condition, and the best course of action is to schedule a C-section before the expectant mother goes into labor. After finding out that Sienna had vasa previa, the final trimester of the pregnancy was emotional torture for the couple. When there was one time that I didn't feel the baby move. Mm-hmm. And I got really stressed out, and I did all the things. You're supposed to drink cold water. You're supposed to drink sugar. Get the baby up. Get get it moving. And Still didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was trying to be calm, and I was like, okay, I think we need to go to the hospital. I'm not the kind of person that goes to the hospital for everything. I'm like, let's just wait a little bit longer. Let's see what happens. But it wasn't about me. It was obviously about the baby. So we went to the hospital, mm-hmm. and baby was turned towards my back. So that's why I couldn't feel it. But we found out that the baby was fine, mm-hmm. strong heartbeat, everything was good. So we went home. Um, it didn't help my stress level. <laughs> I was on the phone every day at work crying. I started going to work half days, things like that. So it was yeah. challenging. <laughs> Meanwhile, the pregnancy was progressing at the same time that Shay's transition was, and there was a point at which she could no longer hide the transformation. For me, I was I was doing my master's degree at the time um, at San Diego State, so I came out and to my thesis advisor and to my cohort, and you know everybody tried to be semi-supportive, but I think it was really odd for for everyone, um, which is kind of the name of the game. It seems like when you're coming out as trans, people are like, uh, oh. You know, and then they try to, you know, almost you see, you see it in their head of them trying to go back and go, did I have any clue of this going on, <laughs> you know, or that this was coming? Did I miss something? Since we were, we had moved all over the United States um, and stuff and lived in multiple places, um, I had, we had friends that were from all over and I ended up, shoot, I lost over half of my friends um, when I came out as trans. So that, so that was hard. And then I had, you know, my extended family, which are, you know, far more religious and living in the South, you know, essentially cut ties with me 100%. But my side of the family, we're supportive. They're very supportive, but you're, I mean, there's challenging. And how did the coming child influence people's, close people's reaction to your news? I think the biggest conversation, um, or the one of the, uh, the oddest conversations back was actually with her parents when we came out as trans and, um, they were like, so are you staying together? We're like, yeah, we're staying together. Um, do you plan to like raise this kid as moms, like both moms? And I was like, yep, we're both gonna be the, the child's biological parents, but we are both gonna be moms. And um, Bit yeah. of a mind bender for everyone. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think that was odd for people, you know, because of course, you know, Sienna's gonna be the mom, but what are you gonna be? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm gonna be the other mom. So, so yeah. obvious to us. <laughs> Which we learned um, that people had a big problem with that later on. The truth is that Sienna and Shay didn't really have that much time to focus on the growing negativity around their family. 
Sienna was nearing the end of a risky pregnancy, and they were terrified that they wouldn't be able to make it to the hospital in time if Sienna started bleeding. So our hospital's in Long Beach and we're in Norwalk. So that drive when we did the scare was way too long. So we decided we got all of our family's points and we checked into a hotel next to the hospital. Within five minutes to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. so we could have quick drive. We knew, you know, if there was any issues that we could be there fast because, you know, we've got this five minutes looming in the back of our minds. So we were there one day and I started bleeding. Not a lot, but enough that I was like, okay, Shay, we're going to the hospital. (laughs) And we went. They put the heart monitor on the baby and we basically just listened to that for hours and hours. And it sounds, you know, like a horse horse hooks. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said that I had contractions. Which you didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't feel them, which is scarier. They were like, how long have you had these contractions? And she's like, what contractions? Sienna was only 33 and a half weeks, which is about a month short of full term. They tried to give her medicine to stop the labor, but then the contractions started coming every minute. And then we had the emergency C-section. Yeah, everybody was amazing. The doctor who did the C-section, um, not super great bedside manner, but very competent, which is all I was asking for. Um, the anesthesiologist, the woman who did that, was is very by the book and very, I mean, she was fantastic. Like all these people are my favorite people because it didn't matter that they weren't like coddly with me. I just wanted to make sure that the baby was going to be okay and that they did their job well and they did, you know, so that was really, um, they were all really amazing. And he wasn't out for 10 seconds before they're like, daddy, do you want to cut the cord? And I'm like, well, yes, I want to. Um, But it wasn't the time to get into, (laughs) to, you know, worrying about pronouns and stuff like that. um, So you just let it slide over you. You Had to for a lot of the stuff in the hospital. Um, when we were there, um, it was very, very hard. At least for until Shay. they were, because we were scared. We had heard that there were like, you know, need, they had blood on standby and needed for transfusions. It was like, yeah. Sienna was kind of spacing out at the time and stuff. And it was, it was a very surreal situation to be in. And then, so I cut his cord and, um, then they brought him over. They're like, we've got to take him, you know, directly over to the NICU. What was it like for you both to see his face for the first time? He was gooey. I don't think I actually remember the moment, but I, I remember it through the pictures. So um, that was really special. Mm-hmm. She made sure I got to see him. Mm-hmm. The nurses were really great about it, too. Yeah. In the end, their son, Grayson, stayed in the hospital for three weeks. At first, Sienna and Shay couldn't even hold him because he was connected to so many machines. Now Grayson is a happy, healthy toddler. When we interviewed Sienna and Shay, he was almost two years old, and they have really big dreams for him. Big dreams. (laughs) We, We always talk about how he has to get into arts. He has to be able to play an instrument. He has to play sports. <laughs> yes. Of course, he has to have a million hours in the day to do all this stuff. We um, want him to have exposure to all kinds of things for him to um, be able to experience things that he mm-hmm. loves. Um, and really, we just have 
high expectations as far as him, you know, doing all, you know, doing his best to and be what he wants. But mm -hmm. we mostly just want him to be who he is, happy and healthy, and so. as long as he's weird. But we also made it like a really conscious choice to. Um, bring him out, like to hang out in the queer community. And that's just been one of the most amazing things um, because children are so cherished in the, in the queer community and stuff that he comes out and like, you know, the other kids are amazing. And then just people who want kids and couples and they just get so much attention and so much love. And um, I think it's something that's lacking um, out there in, you know, at least that I see in, in, in a lot of, of things out there that, that children and, you know, that ability to have kids, um, you know, is, is taken for granted. And people that, you know, struggle with infertility and everything else, that's, that's something, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, we don't take them for granted. Shay and Sienna walked a tough road to get their child, but as you can tell, they're appreciating every single moment of parenthood. Others who want to build families aren't always as fortunate. Yeah, Shay talked about this in another part of our interview. Even after the commercial, I think one of the, the most positive things was I had people, couples that were, that were trans couples, reach out to me and ask, how did you make this happen? And like literally, physically, biologically? Yeah, like, like how did you make this happen? Like, because my partner's trans and we want to have a family mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And then it, it's kind of hard because you, you give that, you know, kind of reality check of saying, well, did you bank sperm? Did you, you know, bank eggs? Did you, you know prepare for this stuff ahead of time. No, no one ever told me that. And so there's other states where they're definitely not doing that stuff. So I would say that if it is a, if, it, if it's something important that you want to have family and have your own children after you transition or even start transitioning or after surgery, you can. You know, there's the possibility to do that, but you have to prep it ahead of time. Of course, that stuff's expensive. And this is some of what the fertility preservation advocates are keeping in mind when they ask states to pass laws on insurance coverage for sperm and egg storage. Rather than list every single disease or condition that might require fertility preservation, advocates are trying to keep the language intentionally vague in the hopes that transgender people will be able to benefit before they transition. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's already a pretty controversial idea in the U.S. to make health insurance companies cover stuff like IVF and infertility in general. So it's going to be an even bigger leap to get those kinds of protections extended to transgender infertility. And actually, a lot of those people who don't like laws covering fertility treatment are also the same people who oppose LGBT people becoming parents. Tristan and I talked about this idea, the idea that some kinds of families are meant to be while others aren't. It's interesting. There's actually a, a growing body of data around bias against LGBT parents because people think that it's unnatural or sort of like not like part of a divine plan if people have to get help as they like try to build a family. And the interesting part is that people actually feel the exact same way about straight people who utilize assisted reproductive technology in order to build their families. So it's actually not a double standard between straight people and gay people. There is a huge group of people who just fundamentally don't think that anyone should get help on their paths to become a parent. And I'm like, wow, I think that there's a lot of incredible opportunity for the LGBT community to work with families like, you know, you and your husband to start to tell these stories about the ways in which it is very natural and it is very divine or sacred 
to utilize the available resources to be able to build families. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I mean, people close to me in my life were, were telling me to my face, like, hey, maybe this isn't meant to be. And I know that I have other relatives um, who who themselves were infertile, and they, because of their strong religious convictions, they never sought medical help because they thought that if God wanted it to happen, then it would happen naturally. And it never did. And that must mean that God didn't want them to be parents. And I look back on that experience now, and I think, how tragic. How tragic. And And for however hard parenting is, you know, you look at your baby and you're like, thank God you're here. <laughs> you know, like, thank, thank God you're here. And, and where would my life be without you in it? You know, I look at Leo and also, of course, Haley and Riley, my older kids, and I can't, can't imagine, like, deleting them from my life and my future. Um, I, I just can't. And so it is. I think it's so sad that that people have internalized that message, and I think that there's a lot of really exciting opportunity to help people understand that, in fact, it it is you know it is part of a divine plan for us to use what we as humans who are divine creatures have created, whether it's IVF or IUI or surrogacy or a uterus that happens to be inside the body of a man, like in my case, you know that that is natural and that is sacred. I think. You know, that's why I feel such awe for Shay and Sienna and for other families like them. Trying to have children is difficult enough, whether it's through IVF, adoption, some other kind of way, but to be in the process of trying to conceive or to just try to be a parent, while also facing criticism from people who think that you shouldn't be allowed to procreate, parent, or even exist, that takes a whole other level of bravery and resilience. I don't want to turn this into an after-school special, but I'm going to turn it a little bit into an after-school special. What really struck me about Shay and Sienna in our time together is that in every part of their story, the both the story of staying together during Shay's transition and the story of deciding to be moms together, they just really focus on these simple universal questions like, do I love this person? Do I want to be with them? Do I want to have kids with them? And I just really love their attitude. They are so totally focused on the person in front of them and not some made-up controversy around transgender parenting. I think that Shay really nailed it in that Dove ad when she said, yep, we're both going to be moms, and she just left it at that. Because what else really needs to be explained? We want to say thank you so much to Shay and Sienna for sharing their story. And also say thanks to Dr. Maurice Garcia, Director of the Transgender Surgery and Health Program at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, for introducing us to them. IVFML Becoming Family is produced and edited by Anna Almendrala, Simon Gans, Nick Offenberg, and Sarah Patterson. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.